You are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Akron Abide. Matthew chapter number 6 and verses 9 through 13 is where we'll start today. And we are in a series entitled Back to the Basics. Getting back to the basics of the Christian life. And I've talked about this each and every week. But this series is all about cultivating a strong personal relationship with Jesus Christ and growing spiritually. Those two things. A strong personal relationship with Jesus Christ and growing spiritually. That's what the series is all about. And over the last six weeks, we've dealt with a variety of different topics that deal with those two things. We got back to the basics by getting back to the Bible. We got back to the basics by getting back to the family. We got back to the good news, back to the church, back to faith. And last week, as well as this week, we have been getting back to the basics by getting back to prayer. And we've been looking at what the Bible has to say concerning prayer and how you and I can grow our prayer life. Now, before we get into our message today, I do have to ask you something. Have you ever been praying and felt like you were just praying to the ceiling? You felt like your prayers weren't getting heard? They weren't getting answered? There was no connection there? Or have you ever lost the motivation to pray? Just no excitement, no desire, just doubt and distractions the entire time you were praying? Have you ever felt that way before? Or have you ever felt so overwhelmed when it comes to prayer that you don't even pray? You don't know where to begin. You don't know how to pray, so you just don't. Have you ever felt that way before? Well, if you have, I want to encourage you today that you're not alone. You see, you aren't the first to struggle in this area. And if you're feeling this way this morning, it is not something to be embarrassed about, but something to be encouraged by. Because some of the greatest Christians throughout history have been in the same position that you have. They have found it difficult to pray. They had a hard time wrapping their head around this concept of prayer. Max Lucado actually calls himself a recovering prayer wimp. That's what he called himself. At times, he found it difficult to pray. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. He acknowledged how difficult prayer can be at times. And the great Puritan Thomas Shepard said, there are times in my life when I would rather die than pray. All of these great Christians at one time or another found it difficult to pray. And we see this truth in the entire Bible as well. You can add the likes of Matthew, John, and Peter to this list, as well as the rest of the disciples. These disciples found it difficult to pray. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, it was hard for them. They fell asleep when they should have been praying in Matthew 26. They were unable to experience power in prayer in Mark chapter 9. And they didn't understand how to pray or what to pray for in Luke chapter 11. These disciples struggled with prayer. But the truth that we can be encouraged by this morning is this. Those disciples didn't stay that way. It didn't remain difficult for them. In fact, prayer ended up being the most personal, powerful, and natural thing these disciples ever did. It started off as a difficulty, but it ended up being a delight in the life of these disciples. They couldn't help but talk and pray to God and, and experience that oneness and that intimacy and that connection. You just read the book of Acts, 
And you see a 180 between the Gospels and Acts. They had praise. They had power. They had passion when they prayed. It was natural to them. But what changed? That's my question. How did they go from difficulty to delight? Well, the answer is nothing profound, but yet the most perfect answer of all. They went to Jesus for help. That's what they did. The disciples said to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 1, Lord, teach us to pray. They asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Now, it's interesting to point out that this is actually the only thing recorded in the Bible that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. The only thing in the Bible, which really is fascinating to me, because these disciples witnessed Jesus doing the remarkable time and time and time again. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, they witnessed Jesus perform many wonderful miracles. But they never said, Lord, teach us to perform miracles. They heard Jesus preach incredible sermons, but they never said, Lord, teach us to preach. They never said that. But when it came to prayer, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Which inclines me to believe that the prayer life of Jesus had to have been pretty awesome to witness. It had to have been pretty cool. They were able to hear the prayers of Jesus firsthand. Can you imagine that? For three and a half years, they were able to listen to Jesus talking to God, talking to his Father. And what the disciples see and hear between Jesus is so attractive and so wonderful and so intimate and so different than what they had seen in religion or what they had seen in tradition that they are left with this unquenchable desire to experience what Jesus has. And so they can't help but say, Lord, teach us to pray. And do you want to know something? Jesus did just that. He taught them to pray. And he does so by giving them a prayer model to follow that is found in Matthew chapter number 6. He teaches them what we know of today as the Lord's Prayer. The most well-known prayer in all of history. And Max Licato says all of the prayers in the Bible can be summarized by looking at this prayer model in Matthew chapter number 6. And so that being said, let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 9 through 13 today. The Bible says, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now that's a beautiful prayer. That really is. It is an awesome prayer. And, and there are just 66 words in this prayer. 66 words in the Lord's Prayer. But in these words, we learn some of the greatest theology on prayer that we will ever acquire. In this prayer model, Jesus Christ gives us step-by-step -step instructions on how to pray to God and how to get the excitement back in our prayers. And it all boils down to this one truth, making prayer personal, a personal relationship with Almighty God. Because that's what prayer is all about. That's what the Christian life is all about, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today in this model prayer. Now, this prayer can be broken down into four sections 
with eight different steps to get into a deeper relationship with God. Four sections, eight steps, deeper relationship. And we dealt primarily with the first two sections last week, so we're going to go over that pretty quickly today. And we're going to deal kind of mostly with the back ends, um, but we're going to do a quick review beforehand before we get into that. And we're just going to break down the Lord's Prayer verse by verse, word by word, and how you and I can have power in our prayers, excitement in our prayers, and passion in our prayers. How you and I can pray the way Jesus wants us to pray. And we see it all boils down to a personal relationship with Almighty God. And that's what we see in section one. Section one of the prayer begins with relationship. Jesus begins his teaching by highlighting our relationship with God. Look at verse number nine. The Bible says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So we have our Father and thy name. Now, both of these terms highlight our relationship with God. Our Father, thy name. We see a prayer of connection there. He says, our Father, which art in heaven. Now, prayer for us is all about connecting to your Father in heaven. That's what prayer is all about. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so the first thing that, when we, that we do when we pray is, we remember how much God loves us. That's the model that Jesus Christ is painting, our Father which art in heaven. We are connecting to God, and we are remembering, we are reflecting on the fact that God loves us with an everlasting love. And that's what the first phrase is all about in the Lord's Prayer. Because the key to passionate prayer is realizing who you are talking to. You see, when you and I pray, we aren't just talking to our Creator. We aren't just talking to our Deliverer. We aren't just talking to the God of the universe. We are talking to our Father in heaven. It's all about relationship. From start to finish, that's what we see there. And it can be hard for us to pray passionately, to pray with excitement, if you're just praying to the God of the universe. Right? It would feel so distant. It would feel like you are praying to the ceiling. There's no connection there. But when you're praying to your Father, your outlook changes. There's a closeness there. And because God is our Father, our relationship is different. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've called upon Him, you are a child of God, and God is your Father. And because of that, you have some privileges that people who do not know Christ do not have. You can talk to Him differently. We have access to Him, and we can talk to Him as a child. It's all about relationship. It's kind of like this. All right, say I go to the McKee's house. I don't let them know that I'm coming over. I just walk into the house and I open up the door and I come in without even knocking. And I see Jesse on the couch watching TV. And I just walk over to Jesse. I sit on his lap. I put my arm around his head and I just start kissing him and hugging him and talking with him and telling him about my day. How do you think he would react to that? He probably would punch me in the face, right? That's weird. What is this grown adult doing on my lap? It's awful. But what if little Jessa came in, running up to her dad, sat on his lap and started talking about her day? What do you think he would do then? He'd want to hear from her, right? He would hug her. There's a connection there. That's what prayer is all about. We are talking to our Father in heaven. Right? He loves us with an everlasting love. The Bible says when we pray to God, we cry, Abba, Father. 
That word Abba is our term daddy or papa. That is how much we have a relationship with God. That is how great of a relationship that we have. We can go to him not just as our father, but as our papa, as our daddy. He wants a personal relationship with us. We can talk to him as a child. It begins with relationship. We remember how much God loves us. It's the prayer of connection. But then we also see a prayer of affection. Look what it goes on to say. It says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So first off, I remember how much God loves me. And then in turn, I tell God how much I love him. That's what a relationship is, right? Connection. Me talking to somebody and them talking back. If I am just talking to Hannah and I'm not listening when Hannah talks to me, that's not a very good relationship, right? It's a two-way street. I remember how much God loves me, and then I tell God how much I love him. Prayer of connection, prayer of affection. And in application, that's what the phrase means, hallowed be thy name. You see, before we go to God and ask for things, we need to show some adoration and connection with him, right? Worship him, talk with him, spend time with him, and address him by name. Right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What are we doing there? We're establishing the relationship. You see, prayer is not about requests. It's about a relationship. A one-on-one -on -one relationship with Almighty God. And communication is a two-way street. We address God by name. Now, sometimes we go to God with requests, but that's not what it's ultimately about. It's kind of like this, all right? Me and my wife, I love my wife so much. She is the greatest wife in the world. She is my best friend. I love to talk with her. I love to spend time with her. But what if I came up to her and I just said, make me a sandwich, woman? Just that. I'd probably be sleeping on the couch that day, right? Now, if I said, would you please make me a sandwich, Hannah? She probably would. Even if I said, making me a sandwich, woman, she's such a good wife, I feel like she even would do that. But the intimacy is not there. Even if she were to give me everything that I asked for, for whatever demands I gave, there still wouldn't be that intimacy or that connection there, right? Because it's not about her doing for me. It's about us spending time together. Some of the best times in my life was were, were when we are just staying up at night and just having some deep conversations with one another, right? There's intimacy there. Me listening to her, her listening to me. That's where our prayer begins. It begins with relationship. Prayer is us talking to God, and God listens to us. So section one is all about relationship. That's what we see. But then he moves from relationship to reliance. Reliance. We go from recognizing our relationship to then realizing our need for reliance on God. Look at verses 10 and 11. Look what it goes on to say. It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. And then it goes on to say, give us this day our daily bread. Now those two verses all revolve around our reliance, our reliance on God. Because a strong relationship with God leads to a strong reliance on God. That's what a relationship does. And the more we grow in our relationship with God, the more we will realize just how much we need him in our life. I have been a pastor for one year. I was an intern for a year. I was uh, a youth pastor for a little bit. 
Um, and the more I grow in my relationship with God, the more I realize just how low I am and how much I need God in my life. The more we spend time with God, the more we realize how much we need him. A strong relationship leads to a strong reliance. And the more we grow in our relationship with God, we are going to come to this point in our life where we decide to dedicate our entire life to give our all to him. And that's what we see there. We see a prayer of surrender. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So once we establish our relationship with God, the fact that God is our father, we are his children and he has our best interests at heart, we then come to this point of surrender where we give our life to him. Right? We say, not my will, but thine be done. We surrender our life to Jesus Christ. And do you want to know something? This is the key to experiencing power in your prayers. It's the key because relying on God leads to a response from God. And that's what we see a verse later. It says, give us this day our daily bread. All right, so after we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, I am relying on you. We go from reliance to requests. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. For your prayers to be answered, for us to experience power in prayer, it takes relying on Almighty God. John 15, 7 says, if my words abide in you and you in me, you shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. That word abiding has to do with reliance remaining, spending time with God, being connected to him. You see, for us to experience power in prayer, we come to this point of surrender where we say, not my will, but thine be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So we see a prayer of surrender, and then we see a prayer of supplication. Verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, it's interesting. This is the first time the word us is mentioned in this prayer so far. You see, up to this point, all of our direction was placed on God and who he is. Right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We've got our Father, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. It's all about God. But once we get to verse 11, our focus shifts from Almighty God to little us. It shifts to our request. Just look at the remainder of the prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. The focus shifts to our needs. And the point that Jesus is trying to make when he's teaching them this is this. Once we understand our relationship with God and, and once we determine to rely on God, we can then have confidence that he will answer our requests. He'll answer our prayer. And we can go to God in prayer knowing that he will provide. We say, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you look up that word bread, that's referring to not just bread, not just food, but all of your needs in life. Give us this day our daily needs, the needs that we have in life. That's referring to your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, everything. That's what that's referring to. Give us this day our daily bread. And because of the prayer of connection, the prayer of affection, and the prayer of surrender, we can know that God will supply our needs. This is a promise that God has given us. 
Philippians 4.19, the Bible says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, he promises to supply all of our needs. He does not promise to supply all of our griefs. There's a difference. But he will supply all of our needs according to his riches. Section one is relationship. Section two is reliance. And then section three is repentance. We go from relationship to reliance to repentance. Look at verse number 12 now. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins. So up to this point in your prayer, you've already reflected on how much God loves you. You've told God that you love him. You've told him that you're surrendered to his will and you've determined to rely on him to meet your needs. Now, all of this equals a strong personal relationship with God. So props to you. You're doing really good in your prayer. But in order for us to keep this relationship strong, we must do what is said in verse number 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We come to this point of repentance in our life. This continual point of repentance day by day talking to God. And that's what we see in verse 12. We see a prayer of confession. He says, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Now this portion of the prayer is all about our cleansing. Right? We admit our faults and we confess our sins. To God. So if you're praying to God and you're following this prayer model, you're focusing on your relationship with God, how much God loves you and how much you love him, you are saying, God, I'm, I'm relying on you, I'm giving my life to you. And then you come to this point in your prayer where you say, Lord, is there any sin that needs confessing in my life? Is there any sin that, that I've overlooked that I need to confess to you? And I want to assure you today, God will probably bring some sin into your life that you were overlooking. And when he does that, you confess it, you forsake it, and you move on. That's what he's saying there. Forgive us our debts. Now, this is something that we don't do very often, but confession really should be a part of every single one of our prayers. Every single one of our prayers, where we go to God and we spiritually clean house, right? Because we need to have a clear connection with God. And sin separates us from God. Sin affects that fellowship. It doesn't affect our salvation, but it affects our connection with God. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Unconfessed sin can hinder our relationship with God. It can affect our joy that we have with Almighty God, a personal relationship with him. That's why we need to confess. You see, right prayer always leads to right repentance. But sadly, the majority of Christians really do not pray this prayer. I've noticed that so much, and I, I am honestly amazed at how few Christians actually confess their sins to God. That's one of the first things that I'm talking with people when I'm discipling them. I ask them, have you, have you prayed and confessed your sins to God? Is that something that you do daily? And more often than not, they say, no. They think of it as a negative. I don't know if it's a pride thing or not. It's a negative to confess your sins to God. But in reality, it's not a negative thing at all. It's actually a positive thing. To confess your sins to God, it really is. Because confession is so important because God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel free. That's why confession is so important. And we are free from guilt when we confess our sins. 
1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this verse is referring to people who have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It was written to born-again believers. So it's not referring to sinners coming to repentance, but it's referring to saints coming to repentance and confessing their sin. And what we find out in verse 9 is some pretty awesome stuff. You see, if we confess our sins to God, he will forgive us instantly. He will forgive us freely. He will forgive us completely. And he will forgive us permanently. That's why the prayer of confession is so beautiful. And that's why we should confess our sins to God. This prayer of confession should be a daily practice in our lives. And we know that to be true because in verse 11 he says, Give us this day our daily bread, daily prayer, and then a verse later it says, and forgive us our debts. Just as we should ask God for daily prayer, we should confess our sins daily to God. If we sin, if we slip up, confess it to God. And confession should be a daily practice for the believer. Now I know what some of you guys are probably thinking today. What if I don't sin? What if I go the entire day without sinning? Well, newsflash, I can assure you today that you've sinned. Every single day we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. In 1 John 1.8 the verse before 1 John 1, 9, leading up to 1 John 1, 9, says this. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We've sinned. Every single day we've sinned. Every single day we fall. But the best thing about that is, God paid for our sin at Calvary. He doesn't want us to be ashamed. He doesn't want us to feel guilty. He wants us to have a great connection with God and experience that joy, experience that peace, and experience a personal relationship with Him. It's kind of like this. We may realize that we don't sin, but every day we sin. Now, I'm a messy eater, but I don't realize that I'm a messy eater. Me and my wife will be eating supper, and I'm just having a good time eating my food, and I'll turn, and I'll look at my wife, and my wife will be just looking at me in disgust, just shaking her head at me, and she'll say, man, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? You've got food all over your face. You've got food on your pants, food on your shirts. I've got two childs that I'm taking care of today, Michael. She thinks my babies better behave than I am half the time. But that's kind of like us with sin. I don't realize that I've sinned, or I don't realize that I'm messy. I don't realize that I spilt on myself. I don't realize that I'm a messy eater at all, but in reality, I am. And when Hannah points it out, I realize how messy I am. When God points out our sin, when we say, God, bring these sins to mind, he'll bring it to you, and you'll realize just how much you need God and how you need forgiven, right? The prayer of confession is an important thing. But then he moves from confession to release. We see a prayer of release. Look at what it goes on to say. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Now, that's where it gets hard, man. I'm all for Christ forgiving me, right? Bring it on. I want your forgiveness. I want your righteousness. I want to be forgiven because I'm going to fail you time and time again. I'm all for that. But forgiving others, that's where I draw the line. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they are. But we need to understand this now. Repentance is the key to forgiving others. You see, he says this in the Lord's Prayer in verse number 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And right after the Lord's Prayer in verse 14, he talks about this very thing, forgiving others. Matthew chapter 6 
And verses 14 and 15 says this. He says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He will forgive your sin, but if you're not willing to forgive others, then he won't forgive you. Now you can say, Michael, that is not fair. And you're right. That's not fair. But forgiveness is not about fairness. Forgiveness is about grace. And when it gets hard for us to do that, we just need to stop and remember how much we've been forgiven by God. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, we are either scorekeepers or grace givers. We either remember the wrong that others do to us, holding it against them for the future, or we extend grace to them when they wrong us. It's one of the two. And it's better for us to forgive. Spiritually speaking, physically speaking, emotionally speaking, it is better for us to forgive. Forgiveness sets us on this path of liberty, right? When you forgive, you set two people free with one of them being yourself. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But if you hold on to those feelings of bitterness and anger, you become a captive to those very emotions. And God doesn't want you to experience that whatsoever, which is why he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The prayer of release. Section three is all about repentance. But then we come to section four, the last portion of our prayer. And section four is a prayer of recognition. It's all about recognition to God. You see, to close out our prayer, he ends with recognizing the power and privileges that we have as a child of God. Look at verse number 13. Look how he closes out this model prayer. He says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, this last verse is all about recognizing the power that God has given us. That's what it's all about. We see a prayer of protection right off the bat. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A prayer of protection there. Now, this may be one of the most perplexing verses in all the Bible. We're saying to God, lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? What does that mean? What is this verse referring to? That doesn't make sense. Well, we know from Scripture that God does not tempt us. We know that 100%. James 1.13 points to this fact. He said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not ever tempt us with evil. That's what we see. So we know that in verse 13, it's not referring to this, God tempting us. And the key to interpreting scripture is scripture. Whenever you see a verse that you don't understand or it seems to contradict itself, Chances are it's just your interpretation of that verse that is contradicting itself because the Bible does not contradict itself at all. And the key for us to understand the meaning of that verse is to look at this verse in light of its context. Now, how do we do that? We look at the verses before, the verses leading up to verse 13, right? Now, this is section four of the prayer. We've had three different sections leading up to this point. We've prayed many different ways leading up to this point. And that helps us understand what this is all about. 
You see, at this point in our prayer, we've already established our relationship with God. We've determined to rely on him, and we have repented of all of our sin. Those three things. Now, because of that, there is nothing that stands in the way of our connection with God. Nothing. We are forgiven. We are righteous. We realize how much God loves us, how much we love him. There's nothing standing in the way of our relationship with God. We're declared righteous. We have the mind of Christ, and we're completely connected to his power and his protection. That's where we're at at this portion of our prayer. So this verse, in light of that, is not necessarily focused on the temptation, but rather it's focused on the triumph. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, it's not the temptation, but the deliverance that matters. The emphasis is placed on the recognition, not the request. You see, when we come to this prayer of protection, we ask God to guard our hearts, and then we recognize that we have the victory through Jesus Christ. We've got victory in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the Bible says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God gave you and me the victory over sin and temptation at Calvary. He paid for our sins, and he gave us the victory. You see, once I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, once I recognized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and I called upon him, the Bible says that I became a new creation, a new creature. I've got the Holy Spirit inside of me, and now I can live for Jesus Christ and say no to sin. The Bible says before we got saved, we were held to the cords of our sins. We could not live in victory. But once we called upon him, once we accepted the gift of salvation, those sins, those chains broke free. And we can now say no to sin and live for Jesus Christ. When temptation comes our way, we can be delivered from evil. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 points to that fact. The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. What that verse is saying is whenever a temptation comes our way, Whenever we feel like we have to give into that lust, we have to give into that anger, we have to give into that outburst, every single time, God has given you a door to escape. Every single time. That's the beauty of victory in Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of that verse. We are recognizing that we have his power and that we have his protection in our life. The Bible says the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that works in you and I today. The same power. We can live in victory because of that power. So we see a prayer of victory there. right? We see a prayer of protection, but then we also see a prayer of confidence. Notice how he closes this prayer. He says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So after we recognize that we have been delivered through Jesus Christ, we then acknowledge that God has all the power and all the glory, and we are on the winning side. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We end our prayer with praise, knowing that God has everything under control. And we can have confidence in our prayers because God is our confidence. For the Lord shall be thy confidence. Our confidence is in Almighty God. So understand this now. It begins with relationship. It ends with relationship. 
Once we connect with God on a personal level, we will have confidence in God to answer our prayers. Connection, confidence. Beginning, end. He starts with our Father. He ends with amen. And the key to answered prayer is believing. It's confidence. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. This is how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he wants us to pray in this exact same way. Because this prayer brings us victory, it brings us power, it brings us passion, and it brings us excitement. So in conclusion today, we've got relationship, God is our Father and He loves us, reliance, relying on Him and surrendering to His will, repentance, confessing and forsaking our sin, and recognition, recognizing that God has all the power and all the glory and we are on the winning side. Now all of this leads to a deeper relationship with God. And that's what this series is all about, a strong personal relationship with Almighty God. And this really is ultimately what prayer is all about. And the Lord's Prayer from start to finish, from beginning to end, is all about our relationship with God. In fact, it covers every aspect of our relationship with God. Every single aspect. When we say our Father, that is the father-child relationship. When we say hallowed be thy name, that is the deity worshiper relationship. When we say thy kingdom come, that is the sovereign subject relationship. When we say thy will be done, that is the master-servant relationship. When we say give us this day our daily bread, that is the benefactor-beneficiary relationship. When we say forgive us our debts, that is the savior-sinner relationship. When we say lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that is the guide and pilgrim relationship. And when we say for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, that is the creator-creature relationship. Dude, from start to finish, it's all about a relationship with God, a relationship with our Father in heaven. And once we treat prayer for what it is, just that, a relationship with God, I can assure you today, with every bone in my body, you will get the excitement back in your prayers, you will get the desire back in your prayers, you will get the confidence back in your prayers, and you will get the power back in your prayers because it's all about relationship. So I want to ask you today, in closing, do you have a relationship with God? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Because that's the first decision you got to make. Call upon Him. Ask Him into your hearts. Ask Him into your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin and begin the best relationship that you will ever have.